0: On today's show, our guests are Rodney Kroon, Prani Harrison from Nightfruit, and Nick Henderson from the Australian Queer Archives. But we are joined by Rodney Kroon from Just Equal. Rodney, welcome to the program. Hi, James. Thanks for having me on. Always great to chat. Rodney, we have a new government, but after nine years of the coalition, we don't have a Minister for Equality. What's going on there?
1: Um, well... The election was obviously a, a good outcome, I think, for the LGBTIQ plus community. Um, the election result voluntarily no repudiated the kind of hatred that we'd seen fostered under the previous government, um, with a decrease in the vote for Catherine Devis in Warringah. That was good repudiation of her anti-trans stance. Um, the religious discrimination bill's gone, or Morrison's version of it, which is great. Uh, The Chandler's say Women's Sports Bill is gone and the ACL's um, Australian Christian Lobby's campaign uh, uh, failed in the one seat where it might have had an effect and that was in Bass in Tasmania against Bridget Archer who voted against the Religious Discrimination Bill. So all up, I think it was a fairly good result, a repudiation of that kind of hatred. And of course we saw um, a very strong vote for small parties and independents who have very pro lgbtiq plus policies. But your question, of course, was about the new government, the new Labor government, which also has some pro lgbtiq plus policies, which is great. Unfortunately, one of them wasn't to appoint an equality minister. Um, now, having an equality minister was Labor's policy, federal Labor's policy, up until the previous election in 2019 when it was dropped by Anthony Albanese. He dropped it after that election when Labor lost. Uh, And that was very disappointing. And I think a lot of us were hoping it might be reinstated now that Labor's in government, but it hasn't been. Um, There are a number of states that have equality ministers or spokespeople, uh, uh, Labor, that is. Um, Certainly Victoria has and has had for many years, since 2014, I think. Tasmania has. Some other states do as well. So it's disappointing that Labor's... Uh, policy on this is a bit patchy, and that we don't have that voice at the centre of the federal government that we might have otherwise had.
0: Has anyone from the government actually explained their rationale to you? I mean, I, after the after the queerphobia and transphobia during the campaign, but also of the of the of the government for nine years, you'd think uh, we need an equality minister more than ever.
1: Yes, given the. Uh, the hatred that's been stirred up against LGBTIQ plus people um, in the last, uh, you know, over 10 years at least, Um, and particularly the hatred that was directed at us during the postal survey and then these anti-trans campaigns and the anti-school inclusion campaigns, particularly safe schools uh, and the religious discrimination bill and all the rest, you'd think that an incoming government would want to focus on, on repairing that damage and setting a positive agenda. Now, in its in fairness, Labor does have a positive agenda. It has um, a commitment to including LGBTIQ plus people on the census, which is great. Um, funding uh, health organisations to better deal with, particularly with mental health uh, issues faced by LGBTIQ plus people, and to remove discrimination against students and possibly teachers. That one's not quite certain. Um, in faith-based schools, so that's all great, but. Uh, we still need that voice at the centre of government if the Labor Party is to adopt you know, this proactive, forward-looking agenda rather than just reacting to all the culture wars that's, that are launched from the other side. The main argument against having an equality minister that I've heard um, from Anthony Albanese and others is that uh, LGBTIQ plus equality should be a focus for every ministry. And he's right. It should be. But... Um, that's not the whole story. I mean, if that was sufficient, saying that all ministers should focus on this, then we wouldn't have, as we do, a minister for women um, or a minister for veterans or a minister for young people or a minister for aged care or a minister for NDIS. We wouldn't have all these... Or, or particularly, a minister for Indigenous affairs. We wouldn't have all of these ministers looking at particular um, communities that have faced stigma and discrimination in the past. Um, But we do. So if it's good enough for them, why isn't it good enough for us? That's my question to Anthony Albanese, and I really hope that um, he's paying attention to this and that he moves to rectify that problem because um, I don't see what the cost would be. Surely it would be a really positive sign and a a sign of healing and a sign of overcoming the past and moving forward for him to have an LGBTIQ plus equality spokesperson.
0: Yeah, and if it was good enough under Labor when Bill Shorten was leader, then surely it must be good enough now. It's bizarre.
1: And if it's good enough in Victoria and Tasmania and other states, why isn't it good enough federally? It really... uh, It it doesn't make sense to me. I fear that it might be a sign that Labor... uh, When Labor was in opposition and in the run-up to the election, it had a small target approach on lots of issues, including LGBTIQA plus equality, Um. I, like many other people, hope that it would abandon that once it reached government and have a more expansive and fulsome agenda, particularly on LGBTIQA plus issues. But this indicates maybe that's not the case. Um, and I hope that's not true. I really hope that Labor's uh, going to abandon the politics of fear and, and, um, and running away from difficult issues uh, and playing a small target and become um, a party that represents all of us Uh, fully uh, and in the way that we all deserve.
0: Of course, Labor has committed to a religious discrimination bill. What do we know about what they're planning? Uh, Do we have any details, any timeline? What do we know?
1: Uh, We don't know much at the moment. Um, Going on what Labor said in the lead-up to the election and when the religious discrimination bill debate was on previously under the previous government, Labor says that it will... Um, It will simply prevent discrimination on the grounds of religion Um, and that it won't uh, override uh, existing protections for other people in the name of religion, which is what the Morrison Bill did. Um, I hope that that's the case. I can't see any reason why it wouldn't be, um, except, of course, that Labor voted for the Morrison Bill with a lot of those overrides, um, or with some of those overrides, uh, in February. When, when that bill was debated in the House of Representatives. That was very disappointing. And again, my hope is that Labor's moved beyond that, that it won't be including any overrides of existing protections in its bill, and it will simply be a straight-down-the-line <laughs> conventional bill that stops discrimination rather than allows it. The um, concern I have in, in relation to this issue is about students and teachers in faith-based schools. And this was an issue, of course, that came up during that debate in February, and was uh, and came up a couple of times on the election trail. Labor has committed fairly strongly to preventing discrimination or prohibiting discrimination against LGBTIQ+ kids in faith-based schools. That's great because there are still some states where that's allowed: uh, New South Wales, um, Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia. Um, a federal law would mean protection for those kids, which is fantastic. but labor's policy on teachers is a bit less clear. Um, it has said that it won't allow discrimination against teachers while you know while they're working uh, when they're in employment, but uh, it has said that it will allow faith based schools to discriminate on the grounds of religious ethos when selecting uh, when selecting staff and the, the fear is there that by allowing that, then then um, face based schools will be able to uh, screen out LGBTQ plus um, teachers at the point of employment. Um, if effectively, over a period of you know two or three decades, purging their staff, their, their staff uh, or their employees of any LGBTIQ plus members. So. Um, that's the danger, that Labor is is weak on the issue of protecting teachers by allowing discrimination under the, name, under the cover of religious ethos at the point of employment. Um, that's not allowed, uh, or it's very strictly controlled, in Tasmania and Victoria. Um, I don't see why the models that we have can't be applied nationally so that um, there can't be discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation, gender identity, intersex status or whatever. Um, it works at the state level. Surely we can adopt that kind of policy federally. Um, and if Labor does go weaker than these on this issue, uh, then certainly I and others will be pushing hard for a, a stronger position um, from the Greens uh, and from the Independents, especially in the Senate, uh, where Labor will have to try and get its amendments through. So um, I won't be. I and the people I work with won't be shirking this issue. I I I'm, I'm friends with gay, lesbian and trans teachers in Tasmanian faith-based schools. I know them well. I know how important these protections are for them, and I'm not going to let Federal Labor, I and my colleagues are not going to let Federal Labor get away with passing anything less than the kind of protections that already prevail in, like I said, uh, Tasmania, uh, Victoria, and also the
0: ACT. It's good you're on the case, Rodney, because I think a lot of people in our community were hoping for a breather with the election of the Albanese government, but it sounds like we really need to apply pressure still uh, to make sure they follow through in our community's best interests.
1: Well, like I said, I think there'll be some things that the government does uh, soon, uh, because they're they're easy, like they're including us in the census, and they're important. That's a very important reform. Um, And our health organisations, LGBTI health organisations, have been starved for funds, so increasing their funding is important. So I'm not trying to diminish good things that Labor uh, is likely to do. But, yeah, we do need to be on the case, um, particularly on the issue of features, uh, on the issue of the Fair Work Act, which currently doesn't protect trans or intersex employees from discrimination. That needs to be reformed. It's a solid Labor reform, protecting people in the workplace. I don't see why Labor would balk at that, but we do need to push on that and on other issues, including one close to my heart, literally, which is um, uh, gay, bi and trans blood donation. I think we'll need to push on that one as well.
0: Absolutely. Of course, Just Equal is pushing on that issue. Tell us what the legal status is in relation to blood donations in Australia and what Just Equal is demanding.
1: Well, the current situation is that um, a man who has sex with other men um, or a trans woman who has sex with men Uh, have to abstain from sex for three months before they can give blood. Uh, Up until April last year, I think it was, uh, it was 12 months. Um, And, of course, that policy was put in place back in the 80s to try and prevent um, HIV transmission through blood transfusion. Uh, It may have made sense in the 80s when we didn't really understand how HIV was transmitted or detected, but we do now, Uh, and this policy no longer makes sense um, it is irrational, it's discriminatory, and it means that there's less safe blood available for those Australians in need. In other countries similar to Australia, reform has already occurred. Uh, and instead of having these old bans on you know, gay, bi and trans people, instead uh, there's a, what they call individual risk assessment, which is uh, assessing the individual sexual risk of each donor, whether they're gay or straight or cis um, or, or trans, um, they're asked the same question. Um, there's no discrimination, um, and that's made the blood supply less, discrimin- less discriminatory. It's meant that there's uh, more more blood available, and it actually means that the blood supply is safer. That last point is, is an important one not to lose sight of because um, in a number of countries, including Australia, uh, the rate of new HIV infection amongst gay men is going down, but the rate of new HIV infection amongst heterosexual people is going up. Um, in Australia, I think those two lines on the graph will cross over sometime later this year. So there'll actually be more straight people with new, newly infected with HIV than gay people, gay men. Um, and in a situation like that, you just can't afford to have an old policy that says, gay, risk, straight, fine. That no, no, no longer makes any sense. You need to be assessing everyone for their risk. You don't want to be creating a, a climate of um, of complacency amongst heterosexual people if they think, well, you know, I have sex with someone of the other gender, so it's fine. No, it's not necessarily fine. We need to be assessing everyone. Now, this is this new policy has come into place uh, in the last few months um, in a number of different countries so because. The COVID pandemic has reduced the amount of people donating um, because they're in isolation or they don't want to go into a medical setting and catch COVID or whatever. Um, We've seen a number of countries uh, adopt individual risk assessment to increase the blood supply, all in rapid succession. So we're talking about uh, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Greece, Israel, Argentina, the Netherlands, Poland, Hungary... And the list goes on, including, uh, quite soon, the US. Oh, and I forgot, Canada. So um, we have the UK and Canada, countries very much like Australia, that have adopted new, this new system. It's working fine. Less discrimination, more safe blood. Why wouldn't we do the same? And that is the, so that's a question that we're asking the Red Cross. Uh, we'll be writing to the new government, to the new um, health minister, Mark Butler, and to state and territory health ministers, and to the federal blood authorities uh, with the, with the uh, evidence for how these policies are working overseas and saying, OK, why can't we do this?
0: Romney, who's responsible for making the final decision? Who's responsible for changing the policies is it the Prime Minister? Is it the states? Is it the blood bank? Is it all of them? Like, Do they all have to sign off on it? It's a complex system.
1: Um, what has to happen is that the Red Cross blood, Lifeblood Service needs to make a recommendation... It needs to conduct a review, then it makes a recommendation to the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Um, they uh, make the final decision, yes or no, and then that needs to be signed off on by the federal health minister and also all of the state and territory health ministers. That's a that's a hangover from a time when, um, when the blood donation was organised on a state-by-state basis and there's still state legislation regulating blood donation. so... All of those health ministers have a role to play, but it's usually just a rubber stamp because the TGA is the group, the Therapeutic Goods Administration is the group that's seen as the expert group. Um, but still, obviously, health ministers can have a role in prompting the debate, and they can have a role in um, prompting the Red Cross to to, to 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 conduct a review. Which, as far as I know, it hasn't even done on this. So, you know, that would be a, an important step forward, and we will be. In contact with all of those groups with the medical evidence um, and the uh, studies from overseas saying it's our turn.
0: Rodney Kroon there from Just Equal. You are and In Your Face on 3CR and here's Night Fruit Is Night Fruit with Like a Butterfly. You aren't in your face on 3CR with James. And we are joined by Prani Harrison from Night Fruit. Prani, welcome to the show. Thanks,
2: James. How are you going?
0: I'm great. I love the track. Um, you and Kitty Crystal just do such great music, such great queer collaborations. Tell us all about the oh, making thank you. of that track.
2: Yeah, so this one kind of um, was made over a couple of years. So we wrote it actually alongside the other tracks from the EP that we released a couple of months back. Um, but this one just didn't feel quite ready. Um, you know, and it went through quite a lot of different iterations. Um, and, yeah, basically it's a breakup track. So, yeah, when I went through a, a breakup of a long-term relationship. Um, and this is really a way to kind of get that story out, to get those emotions out. Um, But the both of us collaborated on the production, um, as we usually do, and just passed it back and forth online. Um, And, yeah, it just kind of came together really slowly. It's been a really nice process.
0: Tell us about these iterations. Like, it sounds like it really evolved. Um, (laughs) What did it sound like before?
2: Yeah, so... It actually started during lockdown. We were kind of doing this um, music boot camp with some friends, which was just, you know, on Facebook Messenger. Um, and we give each other a prompt every week. Um, you know, so this just kind of started off as a little experimentation um, with, you know, just some drum loops and that sort of thing. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to make this into a love song, Wrote some lyrics for it. Um, and then it just kind of got shelved for a bunch of months. And then the breakup happens and I I thought, I don't connect with this love song anymore. So we completely rewrote all the lyrics. Um, and then me and Kitty just started passing it back and forth more. And so it just kind of went through all these different versions without adding more things, taking things away. Um, and yeah, kind of it, yeah, I guess that was the iterations. It just went through a lot of phases. Um, it's been cool to watch it grow and become what it is.
0: That must feel amazing, like, you know, working with the song, evolving it, changing it so much. Like, you must get enormous satisfaction from that, Um, and that must give it momentum. It sounds like a really beautiful way to write songs.
2: Yeah, totally. Like, some songs we we write, and they come out almost fully formed, you know, and it's like, oh, this is kind of ready to go. And then other ones, it does just take a really long time, um, you know, and you think, I love this track, but it's not quite right. And you just kind of have that feeling that it's going to be something, but it needs more time to come through. Um, and it is, it's really exciting as the shape kind of starts to form. And and when you get to the moment where you know, yes, this one's ready. Um, yeah, it's a really exciting feeling.
0: And when you know it's ready, that's obviously the sound, but there must be a certain feeling that kicks in as well. And when you feel that feeling, you know, it's ready.
2: Yeah, I think so. Like between the two of us, we'll, you know, we'll each have a go in it. Um, yeah, pass it back and forth online and we'll be sending demos to each other and, and at some point you just listen to the demo and you're like, yeah, I think this is the one and then, that you know, the other one of us will be like, yep, I reckon, I reckon too." you know, or I think it's got a tiny bit tweaking to do. I want to just fix up this, you know, this drum line. Um, yeah, but I feel like we're usually on the same page of like, yeah, this one's ready. This one's ready to go to the next stage. We'll take it to mixing and mastering.
0: So tell us how you work together on The Amazing Vocals.
2: Yeah, so... Usually with lyrics, um, either one of us will write it or we'll kind of both have some input into the lyrics. And then, we're, so we're in different states at the moment. Um, I'm living in Nam and Kitty's up in Mullen Bimba, uh, Newcastle. So basically we've we've each got a mic at home and we would just record our own. So, you know, I'll have a go. I'll record what I think the melody should sound like. Um, I'll send it to Kitty. I'll say, for well, this, this song particularly, I'll send it to Kitty and say, um, you know, what do you think of this melody? How, which part's? call out to you that you want to sing. Um, and then we just kind of break it up that way. It kind of just comes out naturally of, of which which parts we both feel drawn to, to singing or, you know, maybe it's, that's the part we wrote lyrically or whatever. Um, so it kind of just, just gets divided up naturally depending on which song it is.
0: So with, um, with Like a Butterfly, was it Kitty doing the vocals or you or was it both of you? Like, uh, tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so with this one, I wrote all the lyrics and all the melody. Um, yeah, so I recorded the whole thing as a demo, the, all the our vocals, um, and then Kitty had a go and, and, you know, just decided which parts they felt like singing and put in some harmonies, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so this one was mostly I, was, I did the whole demo myself.
0: Wow. Now, you used to be in a punk band as well. How, yeah. does, um, how does that kind of help you with the music that you create, you know, in the current era?
2: Yeah, interesting. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about it. I think, um, well, because in Chelsea Bleach, I was doing some harmonies as well. Like, um, I was just doing backup singing in that band. But I think thinking about harmonies and, and the way people's voices work together um, definitely was really useful for me. And, you know, even in, not so much in Like a Butterfly, but in other songs, we do have some guitar that comes in, like in concrete or obsessive. Um, and so I think that, yeah, that, that is kind of informed by my punk band past days. Of like, you know, I, do, I want to put a sprinkling of the rock guitar in there somewhere where I can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, just when you were describing the vocals and the creation of the track, I was thinking, wow, Kitty and Prani have such a great sync. And it's almost mm. impossible to tell which one of you is actually singing at any one given time because you kind of just merge. Um, is that because you have such a great rapport? Like, I imagine it wasn't always like that.
2: Yeah. I'm just trying to think back. I I think I think because we, we sing in a similar style, um, you know, and we're both using effects on our voice, which probably like melds it all together, um, you know, to have this kind of one sound. But I think, yeah, we, we just are in sync, you know. We have such a similar creative vision and the way we want to sound. And, you know, we both sing in, in slightly different registers. Um, so we figure out the harmonies that way just based on what, what's works with our voices naturally um but yeah i think they do blend together because we we have this joke of like the entity that is night fruit that is kind of you know more than the sum of of our parts and so i think that that vibe comes out and we both tap into you know you could say like an alter ego sort of thing um and i guess that's probably what you're you're hearing yeah That's, that's interesting
0: I really feel like Night Freed is going through a very prolific time after kind of, you know, mm. being like, you know, hibernating like the rest of us, you know, being in a lockdown. Now you're emerging. You've done the EP. Now you're doing this new project. Tell us about the new mm. project.
2: Yeah. You could say we're emerging like a butterfly. Yeah. A maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Totally. I- during lockdown, you know, we, we finished up this EP and did some things, but there were months where neither of us could touch music. You know, it was, it was quite difficult. And then um, just in the last few weeks, um, Kitty especially has been on a roll and just wrote, like, seven song demos or something. You know, it's just been, yeah, prolific. And it feels super exciting right now. Like, I'm so excited about Night Fruit and, and all the new things we're, you know, we're, we're writing and the new kind of sounds we're putting together. Um, and so I think we're we're thinking of putting together an album, actually. Like, we have... So many half-finished songs that we think could be amazing. We've been writing more, Um, so we're going to put out a few singles, and then maybe next year there'll be an album. Who knows?
0: It is amazing, you know, because often when you know, you know, band members go interstate—ones in Newcastle, Mm. ones in Nam. You know, it's really difficult for them to create. But I guess with technology, but also with the fact that you guys work together so well, you're able to thrive. It's it's quite exceptional.
2: It is. And I think it's the way that we write music anyway was um, we found it's actually easier if we do the production separately. So we don't sit down together in the same room very often um, and produce together. We we actually prefer to send it back and forth. So I think it works well that way. And also the fact that we just are best friends and so we're in contact, you know, constantly um, and always messaging each other and, and talking through things. So it's like, yeah, even though we're not in the same place, It's not like we've we've lost that connection, um, which has been really beautiful. And I think Night Fruit's been, you know, yeah, a really beautiful thing for our friendship as well to, even though we are apart, we have this thing to focus on and and really bring us together. And we just both get so much joy from it as a creative project.
0: And it's a really 21st century way to make music, isn't it? Mm. And it's a way of doing it where, you know, you don't have to rely on a record company. You know, you don't have to rely on, you know, having the money to hire a studio. You guys are just making it happen.
2: Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously as musicians, you put a bit of money into your gear and stuff, but in terms of, yeah, we, we don't have to, you know, pay for managers or anything like that, um... You know, we, we both have a lot of skills that we can actually put into it. And, yeah, you can just do so much stuff over the internet these days. Like collaborating with people we met on Instagram, you just put things up on, you know, a distribution service for 20 bucks a year and you get it on all the streaming services. Like it's super accessible. Yeah, for sure. And our first EP we wrote on GarageBand, so that's free software. So, yeah, it's I, I love it. It's really cool how much more access people have these days.
0: Of course, Night Fruit is renowned for its collaborations and nurturing emerging artists. Have you got any collaborations in the pipeline?
2: Yeah, we do actually. So we've written a new song the last few weeks that um, we are obsessed with and we've been talking to Fairy Boy again, um, the Californian rapper that we worked with on 4am from the EP. So yeah, we're going to do another rap, um, you know, they'll rap for us for this collaboration. We're super excited about that. Um, and we have some ideas of people that we want to collaborate with locally as well that have kind of, you know, we've got some feelers out, um, but nothing else locked in yet. But yeah, you can definitely expect more from like more collaborations like that on the album.
0: Do you don't restrict yourself to one genre? Is that because do you think of your queer philosophy, you know, which is not, which is about, you know, not being like, you know, pinned down by labels?
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's not, it's not a conscious choice at all, but just the fact that, you know, when, when we make music or when a new idea comes out for a song, um, it, it really comes from what we want it to sound like. You know, we don't think like, oh, what channel is going to pick this up or, you know, what playlist is this going to get on? We think, do we really like this? And I think that, yeah, you might be right that it comes from just that, um, of having to, to be true to yourself and find your own sort of um, inner compass when you're queer and, like, writing your own, yeah, writing your own narratives. Basically, of, of what feels right to you, and that's definitely how we approach music.
0: Any plans for any gigs? Yes.
2: Yeah. So, Detail. on tomorrow night, um, we're doing the single launch for this, which is going to be at Nighthawks Collingwood, um, and we're playing with Light Transmissions, which is our really good friend, M, um, and we're also playing with Garyon, who is just another. Absolutely amazing local artist. So it's going to be like a really awesome queer show. Um, And then I'm actually going to go visit Newcastle over winter. So we're thinking about doing some interstate shows as well. Um, Yeah, I'll come up to Kitty's end. Um, Yeah, but this weekend we are super excited about the gig. It's going to be really, really awesome.
0: Fantastic. Well, congratulations on your emergence and your kind of upwards-onwards approach and your prolificness as well. I absolutely love Like a Butterfly. Thank you so much, Prani Harrison from Nightfruit, for chatting with me on 3CR today. The wonderful Prani Harrison there, uh, part of Nightfruit with Kitty Crystal. You are an In Your Face on 3CR, and here's Edda James. Online and in cinema, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival will be running online from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 31st of July, canvassing the world's best docos from South by Southwest, Tribeca and Hot Docs, as well as the best Australian content. Check out the lineup and book today at mdff.org.au or cinemanova.com.au. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. It's all right, baby's coming back. You are on In Your Face on the 3CR with James, joined by Nick Henderson from the Australian Queer Archives. Nick, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
0: It's a great pleasure. Really excited about the exhibition Printed Protest at the Victorian Pride Centre. Tell us all about it.
3: Sure. So the exhibition, I guess, focuses on graphic activism from the Australian Queer Archives. Uh, so it really covers the period from the early 1970s right up to the present. So the archives has a huge collection of graphics, particularly posters. So we've got over 6,000 posters in the collection. Uh, we've also got a wealth of uh, placards from the 1970s onwards and banners. So there's there's a mixture of those throughout the exhibition. Um, we've got a main wall, which is uh, in the Pride Gallery in the foyer of the Pride Centre. And so you can see about 100 works, which is uh, pretty amazing. We've stuffed it full and it's a really, I, I think, quite an exciting mix from a Across Australia, uh, from across different campaigns, um, diff- you know, different locations, uh, different sorts of um, activism, and uh, yeah, it's some. It's an exhibition. I'd definitely recommend anybody to come along and check out.
0: What a great timeline of queer activism in Australia—from from rallies, um, from you know health promotion campaigns, from law reform campaigns—just extraordinary.
3: Yeah. Look, absolutely, and there's also, you know, the aspects to do with, uh, you know, fundraising, visibility. Uh, You know, a lot of the events over this time period, whether or not you're talking about, um, you know, dance parties, some people might've just gone to for fun, but we're also fundraising for this activism as well. Uh, So we've tried to include a real mix of that. There's also material relating to radio programs. So, uh, 2XX and Gay Day, Stonewall Days, that were often, uh, I guess, a a day for uh, communicating the, the breadth of activism happening in communities, uh, the collectives, from students uh, to community groups, um, and really a whole range of issues, from that kind of early gay liberation, law reform, pushing back against uh, the conservative Christian right, right up to the present, uh, still pushing back against that Christian right, um, and you know some of those groups, um, I guess, pushing down and punching down on uh, different parts of our community, like the you know, trans youth. Safe Schools, and a lot of those more recent campaigns.
0: And so many great posters about, you know, HIV prevention and education campaigns from AIDS councils around the country. But activist groups as well. One that I loved was the Kissing Doesn't Kill poster uh, produced by ACT UP featuring Chris Gill
3: yeah, look, it's a, it's a real classic, that one, and, and also kind of ties into that international ACT UP, um, movement, uh, that occurred both nationally around Australia, but also internationally and inspired by the rise of ACT UP and really pushing for um, reform around access to medication uh, and other campaigns uh, specifically to raise visibility and profile uh, for people living with AIDS and the response in in Australia.
0: And so much queer activism, of course, happened in the era of posters where they're at the forefront of, of our activism.
3: Yeah, look, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, they'll see posters that they recognise, you know, posters that could have been up on their walls. Um, you know, and a lot of these, I think more recently, you know, people will see a lot of stuff relating to marriage equality that they might be familiar with. You know, we've got uh, a really wonderful poster uh, or placard that was from marriage equality that one of our volunteers uh, had in the back of their car in regional Victoria as they drove around. So it's it's faded, but it, it was a very heavily used um, placard. And you can see see that sense of use in a lot of the items in the collection. They're not all pristine uh, copies that were um, put straight, you know, behind Mylar and kept in drawers ever since. You know, these a lot of these have been actively used uh, in, in rallies uh, and kind of involved as part of that activism.
0: So putting it all together, Nick, what jumped out to you as, you know, what's changed the most for our community? Like, you must have seen so much change before your eyes with all this great visual stuff.
3: Yeah, look, you know, it's it changed in lots of different ways. You know, some of that's just, you know, uh, aspects to do with, um, you know, the, the shift from liberation as a, as a form of politics. Through kind of more progressive law reform as a specific aspect of um, of um, you know that activism through you know just things like visibility um, and you know claiming space um, presenting you know us as individuals you know the shift from I guess a lot of the screen print and symbolism through to more uh, photographic material and you know it's more it's it's more being communicated to community often rather than, uh, you know, or even more widely than it is uh, before. So seeing that, seeing some of the kind of the continuity in symbols and use, so things like the pink triangle, which was very heavily used uh, as the principal symbol in Australia for activism from the early 70s to the early 90s, and then also, you know, seeing that reappear um, with some uh, material relating to marriage equality when there'd been a gap. And I guess most people have been more familiar with the rainbow flag Um, So, yeah, lots of continuity change, but, uh, you know, also things that kind of reference back um, into that history of struggle.
0: Did you have a, oh, my God, I'm so glad we found that moment?
3: Oh, look, absolutely. You know, even I've, look, I've been involved in the archives for 15 years, which is, you know, a blink of the eye in our 44 year history. But there's material that I hadn't seen that, you know, just going, you know, meticulously through poster drawers. Um, one of my favourite is actually a poster from the early 1980s, a screen printed poster from the RMIT Gay Collective by uh, Prue Borthwick, who was a. Um, an illustrator and designer also did some really fantastic comics with Streetwise uh, up in Sydney related to HIV AIDS and... Um First Nations communities. Um, so that was one I, I just hadn't been familiar with before, but really jumped out at me as a as a really vibrant poster. And I think you know also just being able to put similar, po- well, I guess a number of posters from the same movement um, out and on display. So we've got a whole series relating to, for example, the law reform came a campaign for decriminalisation in in Sydney. Uh, You know, similarly with uh, Mardi Gras and the solidarity activisms, you know, down in Melbourne that were happening. Uh, And probably some of my favourites are the placards because they really show that hand-drawn response. And so we've got this amazing placard from the first trans rights protest in Australia from 1982 in Sydney. Um, And then we've also got a really fantastic one for a kind of uh, anti Oh, Fred Nile, uh, who many may know as a, a Christian right a politician in Sydney, uh, had uh, or tried to organise a cleansing march in Sydney up Oxford Street to cleanse the, you know, the community uh, of all those nasty gays and lesbians and queer folk. And, uh, of course, they were met by a much, much larger crowd from community. And there's a really wonderful placard up there, which is repent, rejoice, redecorate, um, which is one of my favourites as well.
0: And you must be seeing images of people who are no longer with us. That must be incredibly moving for some of the people who are seeing this exhibition at the Pride Centre.
3: Yeah, look, I think a number of people have quite emotional responses when they can place themselves at particular events or, you know, often with the HIV/AIDS material particularly. Um, but also, you know, sometimes it, it, it was the kind of violence meted out by uh, police often, you know, and, and the brutality that they uh, you know, regularly showed, and sometimes the indifference to the brutality that was faced by community. Um, so there's definitely that side, but I think what what's shown more so is probably that sense of um, joy that people experience being reacquainted uh, with histories that they might not necessarily have uh, kept at the forefront of their minds and, you know, being able to see just the, the energy uh, that a lot of these placards and posters represent.
0: Did you unearth something where you went, oh, my God, I was there, I'd forgotten about that experience? Like, was there something that moved you personally in particular?
3: Yeah, look, I think, I mean, my personal involvement in community in terms of the activism is really from the late 90s. Uh, so a lot of the kind of um, post-2000 materials, definitely, you know, all of that marriage equality material uh, and safe schools um, There's uh, a couple of posters that I was involved in. We did a a great uh, one, which was actually relating to the archives where we partnered with Minus18 and and Safe Schools. And we put uh, a series of posters uh, that we sent out to 400 schools across Victoria. And that was... um How many years ago? That was six years ago, so quite relatively recent, but it was really nice just to also show the inspiration that the archives can play in bringing some of this history uh, to, um, I guess, uh, the youth in our community to help educate them about uh, their own histories that they might not be so familiar with.
0: And you must have unearthed stuff that really kind of, you know, demonstrated how connected our community was in the 70s and 80s to the women's movement uh, and lots of really progressive international movements as well.
3: Oh, look, absolutely. That, that solidarity activism, you know, I guess, you know, some people... and look there w- there was always solidarity and there was there was also uh separate communities as well um that uh, weren't necessarily as interested or active um you know often you know framed around the bar scene but you know a lot of those events um you know are featured in there looking at uh, solidarity activism you know around what was going on in the UK there's a really fantastic large um poster which is up above the booths in the foyer uh in the gallery space which is around Thatcher and response to um section 28 in england so there's some really interesting international activism there as well as seeing that kind of international um side come to australia so people like mary whitehouse uh, who was involved in the festival of light coming from england to australia in the late 70s and the kind of response to that uh to that uh group but also to her personally as part of her trip around australia so yeah definitely
0: and the sense of community and the depiction of community that these visuals convey must really show how important it is for people to have human contact and organise and do activism together in the same space, same physical Absolutely.
3: space. Yeah, very much so. And that kind of solidarity, the sense of movements coming together, but also that you know many of these people were involved in a lot of movements together, and that you know this is a this is a movement response. You know these. Um, posters and banners didn't come out of you know just one person working alone generally you're talking about collectives you're talking about uh solidarity groups um and coalitions that were often developed to respond to particular situations so yeah no it is it's a really exciting uh, and i think vibrant uh exhibition to showcase those connections
0: do you think it conveys that our community our sense of community has changed
3: Um, Look, I think, you know, in different ways. I think, obviously, when you're talking about the 1970s and and 1980s, the forms of communication that we had at the time, um, whether or not as posters or all the sorts of print publications that we had, um, you you know, there there wasn't always the same uh, ability to communicate um, with the immediacy that we have now. So the sorts of... um, I guess, quick responses that happened uh, and can happen now in terms of um, social media didn't always happen back then. There was a little bit more organising and a need to kind of really get the message out, often visually. Um, You know, the rise of community radio, which we've got some great posters in relation to that, in the exhibition, you know, provided an additional outlet. And so, you know, uh, 3CR being very important in that history as well. To double X to um, to really uh, improve that kind of regular connectivity uh, between community um, is is there?
0: And thank God for the archives. Like when I hear this, I think thank <laughs> God we have this resource called the Australian Queer Archives that's been able to you know give us the infrastructure and collect all of this stuff over the years.
3: Yeah, look uh, the I. Look, you know, obviously, I'm biased because I'm involved, but the archives are really an amazing resource for community. Um, we are all part of community, and we see that the organisation is very embedded in our communities. Um, we're here to support community, to document and preserve uh, their history, and to provide that for uh, research, for creative response, and for all of these. You know, Last night, we had a really wonderful group from Minus18 Leadership Programme, come into the archives and it was really exciting seeing um, I guess young people uh, half my age uh, to you know come in and really engage with the collection and see that this is theirs that this is part of their history um, and that they can connect and access and use that as well
0: Nick give us those details so people can rock along and see this wonderful exhibition
3: sure so Uh, The Printed Protest, Graphic Activism from the Australian Career Archives exhibition uh, is on uh, from now up until the 30th of June. So it's at the Victorian Pride Centre in St Kilda um, and it's accessible every day of the week. Uh, So just pop along either to uh, the Australian Career Archives website or to the Pride Centre and you can find a little bit more information or you can just rock up and check it out for yourself.
0: Nick Henderson, congratulations on the exhibition. Congratulations on the archives collection of all this amazing material. Thanks heaps for joining me today on 3CR. Thanks
3: so much for inviting me.
0: Nick Henderson there from the Queer Archives. I am out of here. Jacob is up next for the Friday Rave. He's about to come into the studio. Taking us out is Lady Gaga with Alice. We'll catch you next week on your face.
4: Be honored a be to free my mind